Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. Is this not our prayer, church? Is this not our testimony? Is this not our, to our shame and to his praise? Lord, we, we've never deserved your grace. We've always needed it. And we come this morning as, as beggars again, Lord. Would you feed us? Would you teach us? Would you shape us and mold us and knead us like, like bread that we may be made broken for others to eat. Lord, we are dependent on you. We love you. And we love the Lord our God with all of our mind, our heart, our soul, and our strength. And together we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, once again, just want to welcome uh, our guest speaker here, missionary uh, John Markey. He and his family serve in in uh, Ternopil, Ukraine. I'll have him explain that shortly. <laughs> um, and that's about it. I'm guessing John will fill in the details. So, welcome, John. All right. Hi, I'm John, and I'm from Chernobyl, Ukraine. What you might have heard Jeff and me say is that I'm from Chernobyl. But you're wrong. I'm not from Chernobyl. I'm from Chernobyl. Those are very different places. <laughs> so I don't like glow in the dark or anything like that. And we're not like ministering to like two-headed cows or something. You saw this, yeah, there's a series about, they just did a recent kind of not really documentary on, you know, you know what Chernobyl is, right? Yeah. 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 Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> For a second I was like, what are you even, okay, Chernobyl, Chernobyl, what's the difference? Yeah, so anyway, so we're not in a nuclear zone. In a way, I sometimes think like maybe I should just let you guys think that. Probably would pray for us more fervently. You know, we might get more support that way. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, that's not where we are. We're in Western Ukraine. So Ukraine's a big country. And um, I don't know if you know much about it. It's in Eastern Europe. And so to the north and east, we have Russia. And to the west, Moldova, Poland. Uh, what else is over there? Bulgaria. And then Belarus is around there, too. Anyway, so that's Ukraine. And uh, also may have heard we've been having a bit of a war going on in Ukraine. It's still going on. It's just not in the news really anymore. But it's uh, kind of at a sort of standstill. But people are still dying uh, in the east part of the country. We're just so you rest easy. We're, we're safe um, in western Ukraine. That's the clear opposite end of the country. It's about 
if you drive, it's probably, well, it's over a day's drive over to, to the east where the conflict is. Anyway, so, um, yeah. So I said I'm from Ternopil, and I speak with, I think it is an American accent, because I'm originally from here. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm actually kind of second generation missionary. Uh, so I actually became a missionary not by choice. I'm not going to talk about predestination this morning, but you know, that's just a little bit um, kind of about that. Uh, so my, my, my parents um, moved us all over to uh, Kiev, Ukraine as soon as the Iron Curtain fell um, in 1992. And uh, I was six years old, so that's why I didn't really have choice. I was like, cool, go to Kiev, Ukraine, whatever that is, let's go. Um, and I have uh, eight brothers and sisters. Uh, at, this, at the time, we, there were had seven, there were eight of us, and we adopted the youngest, um, Kristen, in Ukraine. Uh, so yeah, so my parents, everybody thought they were kind of crazy, moved us all over to Ukraine. And uh, so I grew up in Kiev, uh, that's where I spent, I was working on calculating it all with Jack, did I just say Jack? With Jeff. I know you better than that. <laughs> with Jeff. Um, yesterday, that I've, yeah, so most of, I've spent more time in Kiev than anywhere in my life. I've, I barely remember uh, living in the United States. Um, so I grew up in Kiev, went to school, went to music college, everything all in, um, all in Kiev. And uh, so the, the idea was, to, uh, my dad was a Calvary pastor. I was also born into Calvary Chapel, also predestination. I'm not like, I didn't choose Calvary. Um, but uh, anyway, the, I'm, don't worry, I'm not gonna talk about that anymore, just so nobody gets nervous. Um, so, yeah, my dad's, the, the vision was to plant the first, uh, Calvary Chapel was a plant of the first one in Kiev, from which many other churches would then, um, uh, yeah, church plants would happen, and that's what did end up happening, is that pastors and teams went out to different cities in Ukraine, and there's close to 20 Calvaries um, in Ukraine now, which is really cool. And so now, I'm a pastor of one of those plants, um, in Ternopil, Ukraine, which is about a six, five to six hour drive west of Kiev. And um, my brother started that church about 14 years ago now. And my older brother, George. And so we just, me and my wife, Steph, this is my wife, Stephanie, over here. She's kind of, she loves attention, so I'm gonna like, <laughs> just see that out. Like. And these were our two oldest kids. And we have four more back there somewhere given somebody some trouble. And so six kids, we have, we have six. Now, those of you who don't have as many as six children and you think that that's a lot, it is, it's a lot, it's a lot of kids. <laughs> but if you have more than like power to you, like, I don't know, I think we're done. That's, six is plenty. Um, anyway, so that's where we are now. And um, very much carrying on that vision that my, my, my dad had for Ukraine. He passed away in 2007. Actually, the year that the church was planted in Ternopil. Um, so so my, my brother started the church. We just went to help out with whatever we could. And as is kind of a Calvary thing, I think, um, we just went to help with whatever we could. And now I'm a senior pastor of a Calvary chapel. <laughs> so however that kind of happened. Anyway, so, um, and, and very much what we want to do there and have been uh, cultivating is um, uh, really want to 
invite others into this story that we are part of um, with the gospel. And so it's not just like, like, I don't know how you might imagine a church plant to be, but it's, it's not just like, okay, let's kind of set up shop, get a building, get, we have a guitar, we have the worship, and just, you know, I'm just going to teach the Bible every Sunday for the rest of my life. That's cool. But, but what we're called to do is make disciples. And so what we want to do is not just um, kind of teach the word all the time, but also bring others into understanding what this is and, and kind of work ourselves out of a job as they take ownership of the church themselves and understanding how it is that we live out the gospel story in our context. And that's been happening and it's been really exciting to see. I'm now um, actually a co-pastor there with, uh, with another guy. He taught this morning in Ternopil, taught because there's like a seven hour time difference. So they're all having lunch and we're a little bit envious of them. Um, and, and then we also have a team of elders and leaders that, you know, we, we, I, I'm very much just a part of a team now of guys that we, we make a lot of these decisions together and we, we think through um, what it means in our context, in our time, with our unique set of circumstances, how to live out um, the gospel. How to, how to, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in Chernobyl, Ukraine? So that's, that's one part of what I do. But then I'm also um, I'm a musician. I don't know if that was obvious or not from me being over there. But um, so I, I write songs and um, and I've been doing that for several years. And that's really started to develop more and more into this ministry we call Room for More. And very much like what Jeff said, or Jack, however you want to, Jeff, Jack, yeah, Jeff. So uh, what he was saying earlier about abiding arts is very much telling the story of the gospel. That's exactly what it is. We, we want to tell the story of the gospel in um, using like any creative means that we can. Right now, that pretty much looks like um, the songs that I write, and we produce those. We have videos and visual things that kind of go with that. Um, and they're, it's designed to be both for the congregation and to be a, a, a tool to share with those that don't know this story that we're a part of. Because what we really believe is that as we tell the story of the gospel to ourselves, even as we sing about it, as we um, sing about what we love, I and mean, that's what Pretty much everybody sings about it, right? We, we sing about what we love. So as we tell the story of the gospel, it ministers to us, um, but it also um, is, a, is, a, is an invitation to those that don't know what, what, what the gospel is. So um, this has been uh, actually really kind of exploding for the past couple of years. Um, room for more. We're um, through these songs. Oh, and another part of the vision is that, okay, so you can imagine, so in Ukraine, uh, we speak Ukrainian. A lot of people know Russian, but Ukrainian is the official language. And um, most of the songs that we sing, and a lot of the material we, materials we get, like books and stuff like that, is translated in, the, in Christian circles from English, probably 90 to 95%, especially with songs. And that's cool. That's not a bad thing. But... Um, it kind of, it's, it's a, it feels a bit like a, a secondhand thing in that, you know, we, we do have a, a context, and you have a context, and a culture that very much informs 
um, the songs we write and what we talk about because we have specific issues, specific struggles, right? Different forms of suffering that we're dealing with that are unique. And so we really, that was, that was really why I kind of started writing songs was because I wanted it to be something that was coming out of what we were experiencing in, in Ukraine. For example, with the war. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a unique, uh, it's a very unique thing and to, to, to work through once again the unchanging truths of the gospel, but now feeling it in a very different way. As you experience suffering, a lot of people experience hatred, right? And vengeance and all of these, th these different things. Like we have to process these in our, in our place and time. And so uh, we started writing for that purpose is Ukrainian songs. I, most of what I write is in Ukrainian. Um, we're actually gonna sing one of we're going to sing two songs at the end. And one of them, uh, they're both written in Ukrainian. One of them we translated into English. So we're kind of returning the favor. We're going to sing a translation over here. And then the second one we're just going to do in Ukrainian. And um, just to kind of give you a feel for the language. But we'll put the lyrics up so you can kind of see what's going on, what the song's about, and everything. Um, so anyway, this has provided a really unique opportunity for us because um, uh, it's actually been humbling to watch how this has crossed denominational lines as we've shared these songs and they really resonate with a lot of different people. We've, we've been able to partner with um, Baptists, Pentecostals, uh, Charismatics. Um, like we, we've gotten a lot of feedback from Catholics, which Western Ukraine is, is Greek Catholic, kind of that's the nominal religion of choice. And I've been interviewed on Catholic radio, like twice, which was really interesting. And inevitably, you know, the, the question is like, so what do you guys think about Mary, you know? And I'm like, well, she's cool, I don't know. Like, and so, okay, moving on. And then we talked about the gospel and it was great. And it's just been a really neat experience to watch more in a broad way what the Lord is doing in the country. And a very unifying thing, um, I think, I don't know about here, but in Ukraine, tribalism within the body of Christ is a real problem. And uh, that really involves a lot of pride, actually. You know, we think we're like the only ones and um, everybody else is doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, like, sure, I'm the only one that's not doing anything wrong, you know. But, so, that, so it's been a very humbling experience for us, but then also just um, an incredible thing to to not just minister within the local church, but really from that local church to minister to the body of Christ in Ukraine. And then actually not just in Ukraine. I think these songs are also um, contributing to the mosaic of like what the body of Christ is experiencing all over the world. I think that's just like the US is sharing, right? A lot of its songs and resources. That's that's part of the picture of what is happening in the world through the gospel. Um, and so I think every culture and nation and tribe need, needs to bring that to the table. We need, we, we need that, we, we all do, because we get stuck in our little place and time and uh, that's not super healthy either. Um, so I'm gonna transition with that to actually 
the, the message this morning, if you guys don't mind. We're going to open the Gospel of Mark, okay? And, yeah, oh, Bibles. Perfect. Um, and I mainly want to talk to you today. I'll share a little bit more within the message, Lord willing, about specifically things that are going on where I am. But um, instead of it being like this thing where, okay, I'm going to talk to you about far off Ukraine and how different and crazy and weird life is over there. Because, because here's the thing, okay? So with the, with the term missionary, I don't know about you guys, um, but I think there's, there's a lot of people that, like, what is attached to being a missionary, there's a certain stigma, I think. I think there's, like, it's somebody who's it's kind of weird. And, um, and I feel very normal. Um, I, don't want, I don't know what normal is in Naples, Florida, but, like, I feel normal. I don't feel like a really crazy person. Um, I, my, my brother, another brother, is crazy. So he, he's in northern uh, Siberia. Uh, so he's a missionary up there, if you want the really, like, like, insane stories of missions and stuff. So, like, you know, where it's, like, dark for most of the year and way too freezing to, like, li- you shouldn't be up there. It's, like, crazy. And I, I, I can't ever get up to visit him because it's, like, it's either too cold or in the few months where it's not, you'll, like, get eaten alive by mosquitoes. And it's, like, Sorry, man, like, I don't know, I'm trying to find that one week where I can actually just come and hang out. But anyway, so he's a missionary up there, and he's, he's crazy, okay? But I'm normal. Just wanted you guys to, like, just get that out of the way. Like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a normal person. Um, and so what I want to talk about more is not, the, not how far off and weird everything is, but actually what unites us, which is the gospel, but then also what unites our, um, yeah, our need, and uh, I, I think very much like you guys, I'm just assuming at this point, is that I'm someone who needs the gospel. I didn't just need it when I got saved. I need it now, and I need it to um, infuse every area of my life, um, not just Sunday morning. But I, like, I need it as a dad. <laughs> I need it uh, as a husband, and as someone who rubs up against humans, other humans, every day, right? all the time. Guys, we, we need the gospel. And um, uh, like we've been talking about, the story, we, what, what really empowers us to live out the gospel message is actually remembering what it, what it is. <laughs> remembering the story that we're a part of and uh, actually growing in understanding what it is really for the rest of our lives. That's, that's kind of who we are. Uh, we're the people who remember and remind ourselves constantly. That's what we do when we partake of communion. We're actually reminding ourselves of our story. And so we're going to kind of unpack uh, what the gospel is um, today. And, and, and here's kind of the, um, what, I, what I hope we're eventually going to come away with, is that uh, something that the gospel empowers us to do is to actually hope. Um, so I kind of call this message uh, coping or hoping. And I'm really excited to share this in America because it rhymes. Uh, because in Ukrainian, it doesn't rhyme. So it's like, like just kind of giddy. Maybe as a songwriter or something, I'm like, yes. Um, but anyway, 
It doesn't make it any less true if it doesn't rhyme. But um, coping or hoping, right? And I, and I find that with a lot of my life, um, I, I, I'm spending so much time coping with reality. And I think that's, that's generally, that's, that's a very normal human experience, right? Where we want to find some sort of space <laughs> where we can just kind of deal with hardships that we're, 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 we're going through, whether they're physical hardships or emotional. Um, we want to just unplug sometimes, right? And just like, man, work is just too stressful. Right? Kids, two of them are sitting here. I love them. But it's kind of stressful. Like, you know, it's like, I just want, how many parents just say, I want peace and quiet, right? Um, and that's, like, coping isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I find that it becomes the default for, for most of us. Is like, I think that's why we spend so much time on our phone. It's like we're trying to um, just get away from stress. And then we end up with more stress because we read somebody's political views that are very different from my own. And then I'm like, Wah! and then, right? And so there's, there's so many ways in which we're just trying just to, get, just to get through. That's the idea of coping. Just got to get through this thing, right? And, and friends, what I want to say today is that the, the gospel is not that at, at all. And, and it has a very real hope that, that changes the way you live now, like every day. It changes your capacity to live, to, to truly live. And that's what we're going to unpack, OK? So the Gospel of Mark. Now, we, we're doing this series in Chernobyl called uh, 66 Books in One Story. And the idea is that we're doing this bird's eye view of the whole Bible. So we take like often like a book at a time, and we just like talk about its unique contribution to this one story that the Bible is telling that culminates in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to do that today with Mark. So for the first hour, we're going to just read through <laughs> the whole book. <laughs> no. So um, I love it. You guys laugh. Like, what if I was serious? <laughs> okay. So, um, but let's. Uh, what, what we're going to see, okay, in Mark, so we're going to go pretty quickly through it, um, but we're going to kind of break, break down how he unpacks the gospel in three um, classic sermon, three kind of points, three steps, okay? So we're going to look at the evidence, or sorry, we're going to look at the claim that Mark makes. What is the gospel? And then we're going to look at the evidence he presents to back up this claim, and then finally we're going to look at the conclusion, which the conclusion is... Not really Mark's conclusion. Mark actually is going to turn this thing around, and he's going to have you guys make the conclusion, or the reader, right? It's really interesting how he does it. OK, so ready? Jump in. Mark, verse 1. The beginning of what? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay, So there it is. He doesn't waste <laughs> any time. Uh, the gospel. Um, from the very beginning of this book, very familiar word to most evangelicals. It's where we get our name, evangelical, all right? It's euangelion. It's the gospel. And even if you don't, um, yeah, so, so what, let's, let's talk about what we expect at this point. If you've grown up around the church or anything to do with Christians, then you've, you've heard this word. And I think we do have certain formulas that we're used to, to, to kind of hearing, following what the gospel 
is. And um, for example, like it's, it's something to do with like uh, going to heaven when you die, um, or it has to do with inviting Jesus into your heart. No, those aren't bad formulas, uh, but just, just so we are clear, like Mark isn't going to talk about either one of those. So if we make those what the gospel is, we might be missing something. We're, we're at least narrowing it down to something. Well, one of those phrases actually, like inviting Jesus into your heart isn't even in the Bible. Like, I don't know if you knew that, but it isn't. It, it became more popular in the last couple hundred years, that phrase. Not a bad phrase, but again, I think it, we, we're limiting ourselves. And what we want to do is we want to discover, we want to kind of like understand that so that we can discover what does Mark mean when he says, here's the beginning of the gospel. What does he mean by the gospel? Right? So that we can kind of track with him as we go through the book. Um, yeah. Yeah, so Mark says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then verse 2, what's like the first thing he does? He goes, oh, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet. So he's immediately connecting it to something that's already been going on for a long time. This, this isn't like a new idea. Um, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Okay? Um, yeah. So here it is. So the gospel is something that has been promised. It's, it's something that's, that we've been waiting for. And it's something about this messenger and then Yahweh is showing up. So immediately after this, he's going to uh, introduce us to John Baptist, who's the messenger. And you're kind of supposed to put two and two together. Mark is kind of a ninja with the scriptures. Like he's making a claim here that maybe we don't notice right away. So messenger equals John the Baptist. Prepares the way for who? Oh, Yahweh. Who shows up after John the Baptist? Jesus. Pretty cool. Jesus, Yahweh. Yeah? All right, so, so there's a quick little claim. Jesus, the son of God, right? Um, and then look how, look how it, it starts to get introduced to us. So what, what, is, what is the gospel? What does it look like? And um, even if we don't know what the word means, which we're going to look at in just a second, the gospel is something that's it's, it's coming, and, and we, we see this from Jesus' own words in verses 14 and 15. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the what? The gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the what? The gospel. The time is fulfilled, so the kingdom of God, it's, it's here. Right? Jesus brings <laughs> the kingdom. Repent and believe. So again, even if we don't know what the word means, it's the, the gospel's about something that, that's arriving. Not, it doesn't start with, hey, you want to go to heaven when you die? No, it's actually, here's something coming to you. Um, a, a new and different kind of reality. Um, so, so then let's look at the, actually helps to know the meaning of the word, Evangelion. It, what, what, is, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Woo, good job. I 
don't have candies to <laughs> pass out, sorry. But um, good news, joyful news. Now, did you know that the word doesn't originate with Jesus? It's not a, an inherently a Christian word. Um, the term, we actually see it in the Old Testament, um, or the idea of the word in the Old Testament, when same prophet, actually, Isaiah says, uh, behold how beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. Now, what's the idea there? Um, we actually have a, a story that gives an example of this in the Old Testament. When there's two guys running from battle, it's kind of a weird story. One of them runs and he doesn't really have all the news. Remember this? And he outruns the other guy. Strange story. Um, but bringing news of the battle and the victory in the battle. And that's what, a bearer of good news, that's what they are. It's, it's someone announcing um, victory. Someone announcing peace in, 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 a, in terms that are political, in terms that have to do with war. Um, there's what we call the Pax Romana. If you guys know the Pax Romana, it's the Roman gospel. Um, you can actually call it the gospel of Caesar Augustus. Uh, and it's when Rome brought relative peace to the Mediterranean world by conquering everybody, right? And so it's like, but it did bring peace and stability to the region. Um, that's, it's, it, it's gospel, right? And it's into this environment that Jesus is born, actually, into a gospel of Rome. It's going to be a rival gospel. The book of Acts the, the essence of the message that, that people are going to bring about Jesus is that Jesus is Lord. And he died, he rose. He's Lord. Jesus is Lord. That is a direct um, rival claim to Caesar is Lord. All right? so, so it's not just um, something that happens to you personally, something abstract, something to do with life after death. It's a rival kingdom. <laughs> it's, it's a rival gospel to, to the Roman gospel. It's going to have something to do, obviously, with um, not, not just your life personally, but what happens around you. It, it's going to have to do with um, yeah, changing, ultimately, the world, but your, your city, your environment, your country, right? This is why the Jews were expecting the Messiah, right? This is what the good news was for them. Um, a little bit different, isn't it? Or a little expanded, at least, to what I think we tend to call um, the gospel. Okay? So this is, his, this is his claim. Now, another thing that I think the gospel gets confused with is we think of maybe the teaching of Jesus uh, as the gospel, or, um, you know, like the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, that's the gospel. Well, not Not exactly. Because think of, once again, uh, gospel as news. It's something, something that has uh, happened. It's not, it's not good advice. Here's how one um, preacher puts it. He says, how do you feel when you're given good advice on how to live? Uh, someone says, here's the love you ought to have, or the integrity you ought to have. And maybe they illustrate high moral standards by telling you a story of some great hero. We, we, we get this a lot, do this a lot, right? Um, how does that make you feel? Inspired? Sure. Uh, 
But do you feel the way the listeners who heard those heralds felt when the victory was announced? Do you feel your burdens have fallen off? Do you feel as if something great has been done for you and you're not a slave anymore? Of course you don't. It weighs you down. This is how I have to live. It's not a gospel. The gospel is that God connects to you, not on the basis of what you've done or haven't done, but on the basis of what Jesus has done in history for you. And that makes it absolutely different from every other religion or philosophy. That's, that's the gospel. It's something that's been done on my behalf, <laughs> something I couldn't do for myself, but something that brings a new, a new reality and, and real peace. Right. So there's the claim. The good news is that Jesus, the Son of God, um, is the Messiah, and he's bringing this long-awaited kingdom uh, here. You realize he taught his disciples to pray the gospel. Your kingdom come. You will be done. That's, that's praying the gospel. Right? Um, we want to see that reality here, on earth, as it is in heaven. Um, okay. So Mark told you what he thinks in verse 1, and he's never going to do that again. Um, it's different than Matthew. Matthew is kind of like, he'll, he wants to kind of walk you through it, and he'll comment every once in a while. He'll be like, oh, dear reader, so this was done so that it would be done like according to the prophets, where it says, you know. And Mark doesn't do that. He just, he made his claim, and now he's just going to give you story after story um, that's going to be his evidence of why this Jesus is that Messiah. Um, so, yeah, so that's the next portion. We have this, like, it's his Galilee ministry, to chapter 8. And we, we can sort of ask the question, okay, so this, is a, this reality of the, of the kingdom is here. What does that look like? Well, it looks a lot like freedom, if I could summarize. Uh, it's freedom from spiritual forces, uh, demons cast out and stuff like that. It's freedom from uh, debilitating sicknesses. It's freedom from uh, religious rigidity, if that's a word, rigid religious practices, whatever, right? Freedom from that. Uh, um, yeah, so he, he's come to, to free people. And it looks like another way the Bible would actually describe that is justice. Right? These are the poor. These are the outcasts. These are those that don't have a voice. Right? Um, and Jesus comes to, to those people. Um, those are the people who, who his heart is drawn to. And, and the entirety of the Old Testament is speaking about this over and over again, is that he's, he is the advocate for the fatherless and for the orphan and the widow and, and those that can't fend for themselves or speak for themselves. Okay, that's the kind of kingdom that's coming. Um, more than that, in chapter 2, we find a story that's very famous where Jesus, um, there's, there's four guys that, weird, sorry, they, they tear up a roof. <laughs> and look, can you, like, imagine somebody doing that here? Like, I mean, we'd call the cops, wouldn't we? I'd, I'd imagine that's what we'd do. Anyway, so they tear up the roof, and they let down their paralytic friend. 
to Jesus and expecting this paralyzed guy to just get healed like everybody else. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't heal him first. He says, your sins are forgiven. And so you're thinking, okay, what, what does this tell us about Jesus? Well, this is somebody that when you come to, to him with, your, with what you think is what you need, right, he can see past what, what you think you need to what you really need. Right, he knows you but better than you know yourself. Right, now, that, that might sound scary initially, right, that you know, to be known at such a level but at the same time, I think it's, it's what we, there's actually great comfort in that. And it's actually what we, we, we do need. Um, I'll talk a little bit about this later too, but um, I've had issues. Um, I started experiencing, I think when I first started pastoring, started experiencing panic attacks and bouts of, with depression and stuff like that. And you start to find as you research this kind of stuff that a lot of what people will say is like you, you know, you, there's, the answers are kind of on the inside. Like, you find your solutions to these problems. And that's incredibly discouraging if you think about it, right? Like, to say that, hey, man, you're enough to, to, to heal yourself. Right? If you really think about it, it's like, well, but I've, I'm broken on the inside. Like, how can I fix what's broken with what's broken? I need somebody, I need an outside help. I need something that's greater than me. And that's what is being proposed to us, is that Jesus is, knows us better. Jesus has the capacity right, to heal and to save you. Right? Um, so, so if we take all of these stories, though, and just kind of explore what it is they're telling us about the evidence and the way in which Mark is presenting evidence, is that when, to, to modern Western ears, when we say evidence, we usually mean something like the cold, hard facts, um, right, that are sort of somehow probably scientifically proven um, about something, right? That's, that's kind of forensics, I guess, something we're thinking about. But Mark, um, and there's a lot of interesting things you can study about that. But, but here's what Mark thinks is more important. His, he thinks it's more important to get the stories of the people who have been affected by the life of Jesus. And um, there's this really awesome and really boring book on this subject uh, by a guy named Richard Bauckham. And you're welcome to read it. I did warn you. It's like, it's boring. And it's long. And uh, he did a bunch of... Um, research on how information, how history was preserved um, at the time of Jesus and how we can you know, rely on the gospel accounts. And, and one of his main ideas is that you know, the value and the uh, authority of an eyewitness was kept at very, very high regard. So this farce that you know, somehow the stories got retold and then retold again and again and again, distorting the story, right? Like, like, we can't really know what really happened because these were retold so many times. That's really, that has no, like, basis. Um, the eyewitnesses that experienced these things um, were the ones that were the authority throughout their lives. They were referred back to. 
Um, and this didn't just go for Jesus. This is how it worked. Um, so anyway, that's, that's the basis of what Richard Bauckham, or one of the things he's saying in the book. Again, you're welcome to, it's kind of masochism, but you can read it if you want to. Um, but, but the point is, and this is why it's so important, is that uh, it kind of reframes in our minds what, what we think um, people need in order to be convinced of the gospel message. And once again, I, so I'll take you back to my panic attacks. And a lot of them were due to just difficulty in ministry to you know, people who were destroying their lives. And you know, I wasn't able to do anything about it um, in my first few years of, as a pastor. Um, yeah, we had several deaths in the church. And uh, one of them was a young mom who was stuck in a really bad situation. Um, and uh, anyway, she, she through, in childbirth, she died in childbirth, but then her, um, her husband was an alcoholic and a gamer and had all these addictions and stuff. And so she left these three kids with him and just standing by and watching this situation and not being able to really do anything um, about it, um, th things like that started to really um, chip away at my confidence. <laughs> it's like, boy, does this really work? what I'm preaching, what I'm living out, does it, does it work, the gospel? I mean, I'm just feeling really defeated in a lot of areas and watching a lot of people destroy their lives. Um, and so I started, uh, yeah, there were a lot of doubts. I started digging into apologetics and, and getting my hands on anything I could and found a lot of helpful stuff. But I would say the most um, powerful testimony to the, to the truth of the gospel, to, its, to the fact that it, it does work and it does change lives, is actually the changed lives. It's to actually watch, um, watch the people who are changed by it. We have uh, a guy, as an example, we have a guy in our church. Uh, so this is, gives you a little insight into Western Ukraine. He's a former uh, ultra-nationalist uh, Ukrainian pagan. Like, there are pagans in Ukraine. Like, they call themselves that and worship all these uh, interesting objects and stuff. And um, so he started uh, coming to our church um, sort of after he sort of discovered Christianity. But our, the talks we had were just like, he still had so much baggage from, um, from the past. And for example, we have uh, a lot of African students in uh, Chernobyl. And uh, for a long time, he was very hostile towards them. He was like, they, need to, they just need to leave. They need to stay in their own country. And, um, you know, and just kind of playing the long game, just walking through this with the truth of Scripture with him and just watching him become now one of the most generous people that I know and one of the most loving towards uh, people that are very much not like him. And, and you watch that, and you just, you, you just it's, it's undeniable, right? As he's learned more and more about what his story is now in Jesus, right? that's totally <laughs> removed these other bears. It, it didn't conform to whatever his views were before. No, it, it, it started to transform him. And those are the things, and Mark is very much saying this, this is what proves right, that Jesus <laughs> it's Jesus. Um, it's, it's the life 
of Jesus being lived out right, um, through his followers. You ever think about what connects you to something that happens 2,000 some years ago? And it's that. It's the life of the church living out this truth of Jesus over and over and over again. And I would say that's kind of the first um, challenge for us here, um, is that what does, it, what does it take to actually experience the reality of Jesus? Um, it's, it's, it's actually coming in contact. And that's, <laughs> that's become a bit of a issue with COVID and everything, but, 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 but for us to both get this reality to other people, and then for us to actually experience that reality, right, this, we need to be seeing the gospel change lives. And I think this is where you and I become very much the same. And that's why I don't like to talk about like me being far off as a missionary, is because we're all on the same mission. There's no way to not make that sound like a cliche, but it's so true. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, right, we're on the same mission. There's no like, we don't have ranks. It's, like we're, it's, it's God's plan A for his church, and he doesn't really have, not for the church, for the world. And he doesn't actually have a plan B. It's just, there's just one. <laughs> it started with Abraham, right? I'm gonna choose this guy and then this nation that they're going to be a blessing, right, to the whole earth. And then that gets carried over then to the church, being that reality through which people encounter um, who Jesus is. And so I, I, that would be my first challenge to you guys, is to, to just start thinking through, what is it, how is it that that reality is being played out in my everyday life? And it doesn't mean you have to pack your bags and you have to go very far. It's, sometimes it's going down the street. I don't know what challenges you have in Naples, but I'm certain right, that there are places and areas and people that you come in contact with. Right? And, and the question is, do they, do they see that, that life of Jesus being played out in me? Is this, is this the first thing people notice about me? That actually is what it means to be on the mission of God. It's no more and no less, right? Is it where the reflection of who Jesus is to the world? Um, we're, we're on the same mission, guys. In Ukraine, in Naples, uh, Naples needs Jesus as much as people in Ukraine do. I don't think I'm giving you any news here, right? Um, okay, so there's the evidence. Is that my time? I have three minutes left. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Ooh, you guys might not like, not like the Holy Spirit after this. Then. Okay, okay, so there's the evidence. Okay. Now we're gonna to move to the conclusion, and this is, uh, we'll, we'll look at chapter eight real quick. Okay. So at the end of the Galilee thing, and the disciples have seen all this stuff that Jesus has done and said. And then, I think it's in verse 27, yeah. Um, he's like, so who, who's everybody saying that I am? And like, you know, some think you're John the Baptist, some think you're, um, one of the prophets. And then Jesus is like, well, who, who do you say that I am? And they say, well, you're the, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ, right? 
so at this point, you're kind of like, oh, cool, okay, so the disciples get it. Uh, no, they don't. That's, that's what's interesting about this, okay? Should conclusion? Um, they don't. Wrong Messiah, wrong Jesus. Because after this, Jesus is going to start talking about some weird stuff for them. He's going to say, like, okay, so I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and um, I'm going to give myself up to the authorities, and they're going to kill me. And then it's like, no way. No, Jesus. And they're going to continually fight from this point on about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus continues to try to rework for them. Like, man, you've got your kingdoms mixed up. They don't get it, guys. They still don't. It's, it's actually why Jesus kept telling everybody not to, not to spread the word. Like, don't tell anybody that I did this. He doesn't want to be misrepresented, right? They've got, they've got the wrong idea of who this is, okay? And so Mark, from this point, he's going to actually start bringing in these, these, these things about Jesus that are quite startling. And we're used to them because many of us have heard them many times. But it's, uh, yeah, you know, we, he starts moving to Jerusalem. Like I said, he's already talking about being crucified, um, and then when he gets there, right, we have the triumphal entry, and he's riding in on a donkey, and as Luke tells us, as he's riding in, he's actually weeping um, over the city. One of the first orders of business in Jerusalem, here's the guy, according to the Jews, this is, he's going to overthrow the Roman government. I mean, that's kingdom, Messiah, right? New gospel. He comes in, and he starts, like, overturning tables where? And the temple, he starts with the Jews. Like, this is not going very well, <laughs> right? Then he starts, you know, they ask him about Caesar. And, of course, they're trying to trap him in his words. But they, they ask him, like, so should we pay taxes to Caesar? Let's just see what kind of rebel he is. And apparently he's not. So he's like, yeah, just give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. It's like, who is this Jesus? This is not the kind of... You know, it's not the kind of rally that I was hoping for here in Jerusalem, right? And then he, it gets worse. <laughs> he starts talking about how Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. How about that? Here's the Messiah has come. As, it, he, he's openly saying, I am the Messiah. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. It's like, what? What is, this is, this is not good, right? And, and so what we start to discover, we started with, that this gospel is about a kingdom. Right? But now what we're seeing is the nature of this kingdom. And it's very much different from not only the kingdom that the Jews are expecting, but it's different from any kingdom that anybody in the history of the world has ever started <laughs> or tried to start. Because what do we have? Like, you know, just kind of a basic overview of all of history <laughs> is that we, we have... Uh, kingdoms, empires, rulers, whatever, right? And then uh, they start to oppress people. And then a lot of times those oppressed people will like rise up, you know, dethrone them. But then what happens? Well, then they become those rulers. And then they become the oppressors. And this is kind of, just kind of happens in cycles. You see that, right? Um, you think of uh, communism in 1917, whatever it was, right? where it's like, it was the people, it was the revolution of the people, and it became the most like, oppressive rule, I mean, on a level that we've never 
seen before. And we're still, in Ukraine, we're still experiencing the ramifications of it, and just even mentality-wise for people. Okay? So, so how's Jesus going to establish his kingdom? Like, if he just does it, like, if he just takes over and just destroys everybody, then he's just like, he's just like all the other kingdoms. Nothing changes. The world goes on just like it did before. But, but what's radically going to change is that this kingdom is going to be established not by overpowering enemies, but by dying for them. It's going to be um, established not by vengeance, but by forgiveness. And Jesus is going to come, and the one who has the power over the seas, and the one who has the power over demons, and, right, and has been doing all these things, power over sickness, um, he's going to allow himself to be overcome by all of these things. He's going to take it upon himself. He just, he just talked about judgment that was coming. Right? You ever notice? We like those chapters about judgment. We talk, talk about prophecy and stuff like that. But look about where it's located. When Jesus talks about the end, and he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem and all these things, you might expect that the next thing is that. But what happens in the book after that? It's where Jesus takes that judgment upon himself. He's the one that dies. He's the one that allows all of these things to happen uh, to him, right? And he himself points out the injustice of it, actually. The, the one phrase that Mark records for us from the cross is when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Je Jesus had, not, there was nothing in him deserving of this forsaking from the Father. This isn't just... He's not just a victim of a corrupt system. He's the one bearing in himself the wrath of God um, for the sins of mankind, for us, his enemies. You know, now let's just think about what that does for, for any of us who receive the gospel. We've been invited into a kingdom that has, promises this incredible <laughs> life and justice and all these things. But how did we get in? We got in because the, the one who rules in this kingdom, uh, we were his enemies, uh, and, he, and he died and forgave us. And that's going to change, um, and that's what Paul thinks, is that this is going to change how you're going to then live out the rest of your life. This is going to change the way you live out this kingdom, right? Um, uh, forgiveness and love for enemies. It's like it, it has this incredible powerful power. Um, it actually causes the one person in the book who actually gets who Jesus is to make his conclusion. It's kind of ironic that the one person in the book who gets it is a Roman <laughs> that stands at the foot of the cross and says, truly this is the Son of God. Right. Okay? that's not the end of the book. Right. The end is what happens in chapter 16. And we're going to read that real quick. You guys still with me? You okay? Not keeping you from lunch? I don't know how early you guys eat. You good? You all right? You got a couple more minutes? Five. Woo! 
Hey, man, it, some conservative churches in Chernobyl, I was at a wedding, and the, the dude talked for like three hours. I felt so bad for the couple. I was like, wow, this is... I'm not going to do that, though. Don't worry. I, this is brief for me. So I don't know. Anyway, so that's not the end of the story. We're going to read verses 1 to 8 of chapter 16, and this is why we're going to read 1 to 8. You might have a note in your Bible... It might be in the text, it might be as a footnote that says some of the earliest manuscripts don't include what follows from verse 9 on. Now, I'm not here to debate the validity of the rest of those verses or anything like that. Um, I can give you my opinion. I, I do think that the book ends with verse 8. Um, and, uh, but once we read them, I think, I think you might understand why somebody would want to add <laughs> the rest. Um, and, th and then we'll talk for just, just a second. Okay, so, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, I think that's, I don't know how you say her name, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, that is Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. But that's a good ending to a book that's called The Gospel of Jesus, right? Um, now, here's, why I, here's what I think is going on. Because the rest of this could very well be bothered, borrowed from the other traditions. Again, can discuss that later, whatever. But, but here's, here's why I think this is what Mark is doing. Because in the end, you recognize that the conclusion of this book is not about how the disciples got it. Um, right? It's not about them going on and carrying out the rest of the message. It's him turning to the reader and, and saying, so what do you think? Like, it, it tells us and we gather this from here and from other gospel accounts, <laughs> that the resurrection of Jesus is, is like a, it's a too-good-to-be-true, impossible truth to grasp, not just because we live 2,000 and some years later and we live in a scientific age. Like, people, the people that were there had a hard time believing this. Um, you might think they were, like, super gullible in the first century. They weren't, like... Jews would not, like, this, is, this was just, this just did not compute, right? That Jesus would rise. He told them he was going to rise. And then he did, and then they still didn't believe it. Okay. What does the resurrection mean? Well, imagine everything ending with the resurrection. So you have everything that Jesus did, all these incredible miracles, and then he died. Okay, it was a sacrificial death and all that, cool, but he died. <laughs> What does that do with everything that happened before? What about all the miracles? What about the healing and the justice, right? What about 
the Messiah had promised. It's gone because he died. <laughs> right? What does the resurrection do? Well, it literally brings Jesus back to life, but it turns all of that other stuff now into a reality that lives on, and it turns it into a hope. Okay, the resurrection is not just some abstract um, proof of like this great power of God, like it's just the greatest miracle or whatever. No, the resurrection is a reversal of everything that we experience as humans. Okay, this is why this is the absolute cornerstone of like our, our hope and our message is that, okay, so here's the morbid part of the sermon, okay? So like we're all dying. Like you know this, yes? Like everybody is. Like you, you're born and you start dying. Uh, sorry. But that's, that's the trajectory of our life, right? Is that like we're going to die one day. And um, everything moves from order to disorder. But, but what is, what, 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 what can change that? It's Jesus. And the resurrection is, is, is actually a reversal of what has been our reality from the fall, right? It's, it's a, the, what we've done from the fall is a testimony, right, of, of just our brokenness, our sin, our selfishness. Right? We're ruining, we're ruining the place. Right? And we can't live forever because we'll make it a lot worse, right? But Jesus says, in me, right, instead of going to, to death, now I'm reversing the trajectory for those who would believe that it goes from death to life. And so the resurrection testifies, and Paul is later going to say, whoever's in Christ, you're a new creation. Uh, your life has a different testimony now. It's actually that you're becoming not more dead with every day, but you're becoming more alive with every day. And uh, so even, I don't know exactly who, who I'm talking to here today, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, here's a basic question for you, okay? Um, and, and maybe you think it is too good to be true, because it, it feels that way. That's why they couldn't believe it. That's why it was like, they're just filled with fear. But how does it sound to you? Like, just take away anything, just, just the idea that with every day, instead of becoming more dead, you become more alive. Like, that's amazing, right? I think it'd be stupid for us to not want that, right? Anybody. But that's what's, that's what's being promised. And that's what, that's what our life is about now. Now, <laughs> the implications of that are enormous. And this, this is where it gets really, really practical, I think. It's if I think that my, my life is going to end someday, and like, I've got to, I don't know, live my best life now. And just like, th that's, that's what coping kind of, that's where we get the coping from. Um, and being governed by death, we think this way. We think, okay, I mean, I've got I've to fill it with whatever I can get now, right? I've got to travel enough. I've got to experience enough things. I've got to, you know, I don't know. You fill in the blanks. Get a nice enough house, job. I've got to make my mark with, my, with, with whatever my art is, my work, whatever. Um, and, and the problem with that is that being governed by death, you're, it's, it's obviously a selfish existence, but it's also going to keep you from experiencing real meaningful relationships of any kind. Because you're only going to be able to give in any relationship so much, because you've got to get yours. That's what, that's what that means. Being governed by death means I have to get mine 
now. And this, this isn't a life that just atheists live. Uh, this, is, this is like the norm, right? Like, um, but, but if we really, like, just the challenge is like, do you really believe the resurrection? Do you really believe that the best is yet to come and that you're more alive every day? And that G- Jesus, when he comes, right, he's going to restore and renew all things, right? That, I mean, think of what that means. Because that means that being governed by the resurrection uh, actually enables me to truly live a full life. Because I can actually, I can generously give of myself. I can live for others. I can experience those relationships. I can watch other people um, be transformed and get joy out of that. Because I've already... I don't have to get my own anymore. It's done. I'm free. That's, see, I wouldn't stand, I'm not standing up here saying, hey, you guys need to be, I could do that, you know? It's like, hey, you guys need to be like better evangelists or something. Like, you need to tell people about Jesus and all this. No, that's not, that's not the message. Maybe sometimes we need to hear that, but right now I'm saying you're free to do that. See, there's, there's quite a difference. Like, you are free to live for other people. Uh, you, you don't have to get your own anymore. I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm, it's exhausting. It's exhausting every day, trying to like, get the most out of everything that I possibly can. Because right? it's never enough. It alienates me from other people. Right? I'm tired. <laughs> you know? And I'm saying today, like, to myself, I'm preaching to myself, and to you, like, you're free. The resurrection sets you free to live that life that you were always meant to live. Right? Jesus enables you to be the person that you're always meant to be, and it happens through the resurrection. Uh, it's, it's that truth that's too good to be true, but it's the one thing, like this, this, this is what moves you from coping with life to hoping. It's, it's this message that Jesus Christ, and right, he lived, and then, then he died for you, an enemy. Right? But that would actually just weigh on you terribly without that last part. And that is that you will live. The way I think about my life now, the way we should think about our life, is not that you know, someday I'm going to die. <laughs> I, no, I, the message now as we think about it today, I, I died. And then through Jesus, I'm, I'm going to live. In that part, uh, of Mark where Jesus um, called Peter Satan. <laughs> uh, he then goes on to say, whoever would follow me, let, a, let him take up his cross daily and, and follow me. And you realize what's going on here is that that's taking, that's reversing the order of everything. That's what I think is really awesome about Christianity is that you die first. Like we can just get that out of the way. You're dead. <laughs> In the life that I now live, I live in Christ. Now you, you, you have life. Right? It's not the opposite. The opposite is a terrible way to live. It's just like live, 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 accumulate, die. Right? Um, and this is, the, this is the hope that we live in. And I, I would just invite you this week to be asking yourselves those, those simple but very, very important questions of how, how am I living the resurrection life? 
here and now. What does that look like for me? I can't work through all of that with you right now. I've already gone way too long. But, um, but that's what unites all of the followers of Jesus, is living out the truth of the death and the resurrection of Jesus in their context. And I pray for you guys. You can pray for us. I think it's a constant reworking of that, where we are. What, in what way are we living out this kingdom? How are we a kingdom outpost of Jesus in this city? So that's what the gospel is. It's about us living out a kingdom reality amongst ourselves, but also with the world around us watching that community. Amen? Amen. Thanks for your patience. I'll pray. And then we'll sing a song, I think. If we have time. We do? Yeah? Okay. Cool. Jesus, we thank you for your good news. And I do just pray that you would work this into our hearts, um, that it would become a practical reality, that you would free us, <laughs> continue to free us from ourselves and from just trying to cope with life. Teach us to truly hope. We want to live that life that is informed by the resurrection through the Holy Spirit um, that shows us that you're on a mission not, not to just get us through this life, but you want to restore all things new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. Teach us to practically live with that in view. Yeah. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.